Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us here today. You might be watching this live right now, on demand later this week, or maybe this is a podcast you're listening to this week, next month, or years from now. No matter who you are, where you're from, whether you belong to Sanctus Church or not, you are most welcome today. So we're in week three when we're talking about convergence. This is our bias, our ministry philosophy, one of our foundations, our key pillars as a local church. Like I said, week one, if you're checking Sanctus Church out, you need to listen to this because it's like you're dating us and you want to see if you want to join and stay. And if you're committed and assigned to this local church, if you are a Christian and you're here, then you're like, okay, I'm being reminded of what I've committed to. And again, if you're a seeker or skeptic, you're most welcome because you're finding out some of the keys, not only of our local church, but of what God's about in general. Now, why are we doing this? Well, we want to all keep in step together. And as we move beyond this COVID moment, uh, we need to physically, when we regather and virtually, be on the same page. But even if you're listening to this years later, post-COVID, this still matters. But it's deeper than common language, and it's deeper than common meaning, and it's even deeper than our unity, which is really important. Why are we really doing this? Well, it is our fundamental bias here in belief. This is how you become more like Jesus if you are a Christian. And actually one of the strongest, most surprising ways you become more like Jesus is actually when you really understand spiritual gifts and spiritual disciplines. Now, before you shut off whatever you're watching me on or listening to me on and say, oh, I've heard this sermon four or five times, I know, but there's always something fresh God wants to teach us. So I'd ask you to stay. And actually by the end of the sermon, some of us who are discouraged become apathetic or, or are almost off the rails, some others of us on gifts and disciplines, I think we're gonna find balance in the middle. Now there are, as I've taught here for years, two key passages, two insightful moments that actually give us real hope in these times and all times. I want you once again to listen to these radical, powerful, red much, red much, rarely embraced statements from Jesus himself. They're the heartbeat, by the way, for personal renewal in any time, including the one we're in. And actually they're the foundation for everything that is our bias here. They're both found in the Gospel of John. Uh, it says in John 5, 19, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only, uh, only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, he also does. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So, so Jesus says, I do Nothing except what I see the Father doing. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And like I've asked for years, well, how did Jesus hear what he was called to do? And how did he see what the Father was up to? And why in the world would Jesus even say these crazy things? Because I thought Jesus was equal with the Father because Jesus himself is the second person of the Trinity, God himself. And then, even more shocking, like I just read, Jesus says to his followers, not just the apostles, Anyone who believes in me, oh, you'll do the same things I'm doing, even greater things. Well, what in the world does that mean? So to understand the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and understand the movement of the Holy Spirit and understand renewal and to unpack Jesus' statements, you can never start with the Holy Spirit. You, you need to start with the Father and the Son. So the best way to unpack this, this is how we've done this for a while, is to actually go to Paul's letter of joy, the book of Philippians, Philippians 2. 
And in that, he quotes uh, a hymn, a song that was sung in the early church talking about Jesus. And it reads like this in, in Philippians 2.6. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, listen to this again. Being in the very nature God. These five words, of course, are groundbreaking. Paul here starts with Jesus before the nature, before the manger, Christ in his pre-existence. He says that Jesus is the form, has the essence, the DNA, the nature of God, which means Jesus has to be God. You can't have the essence of God and not be God because there's only one being inside and outside of time that has that essence, the personhood of God, God himself. This is not saying, well, Jesus was sort of like God, but not really, or Jesus evolved into something. No, Jesus of Nazareth, who was born 2,000 years ago from Mary, who walked around for 33 years, is our creator in flesh. But within the same breath, then Paul says that though he has the nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And now, this is critical to understanding Jesus, the Holy Spirit, his invitation to walk in the power of the Spirit and experience renewal. This is saying Jesus, though he's fully God, chose not to grasp, to be selfish, to hold on to the privilege or advantage of who he was. Now, this is important. Jesus never de-evolved. He did not stop being God, nor did he evolve and become something else. He just chose not to seize the advantage of who he was. That's why I've for years quoted Eugene Peterson's The Message part of this, where he wrote, Jesus had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Well, how did Jesus do this? Well, the ancient song gives us the answer in verse seven. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus takes on flesh, the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas. He lives a perfect life. He did amazing ministry, teaching, loving, healing people of leprosy, bringing people back from the dead, casting out demons. He walked with the Father without conflict. He died a death we all deserve. He overcomes the grave because he physically came back from the dead. And the point of Paul here is Jesus's life was one of humility and serving, even though he's equal with the Father because he's God. Verse nine, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now you have Jesus in his full picture. You've got the preexistence, his incarnation, his death on a cross, his ascension to heaven, his forever exaltation. Great. But to understand the Holy Spirit's role, in Jesus's life, and in your life, and my life, and this local church's life, you have to ask a different question. Between Christmas and Easter, between Jesus's birth and death, what did it mean for Jesus not to cling to the advantages of being God himself? And, and, and Philippians 2 doesn't answer that, because Philippians 2 is upstairs. You have to walk downstairs. And you walk downstairs at Jesus's baptism. Luke 3.21, if you've got a Bible, it'd be great for you to turn there. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. 
And he was praying and heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, let me just pause and remind you of something, or maybe introduce something for the first time. The start of Jesus' ministry and the ending of Jesus' ministry actually has these great tearing moments. When Jesus was executed uh, unfairly uh, on Good Friday by the authorities at that time, which of course we know from heaven's view is God's plan, it says that in the temple, the great veil, there was this huge thick carpet that actually blocked people from walking to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's torn from top to bottom. See, the beginning and conclusion of Jesus' ministry is bookended by great tearings, the, the temple tearing and, of course, the heavens tearing, and it changes the fabric of human existence. It allows messed up, human, alienated people like us to know God again face to face. Well, out of the torn heavens comes the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. This should make, again, all sorts of connections to the whole Old Testament. The second verse of the Bible, it says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the dark, chaotic waters, and the language is bird-like. Then you've got the dove, of course, uh, hovering over the judgment waters of Noah. And then you've got the language the Holy Spirit overshadowed the tabernacle. And then in Solomon's time, the Holy Spirit filled the temple. And then when you get to Christmas, you have the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, and now the Holy Spirit is doing it again over and in Jesus. What's the point? God is doing a new creative thing, new exodus, new temple. The ultimate expression of what is, was, what is to come is happening now. Now, Jesus is given the Holy Spirit for two reasons. The first is seen by the Father's voice. You're my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. First, the Holy Spirit is given to Jesus to affirm his identity. We see God here in his fullness. You have the Father's voice, the Son of God in flesh, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. We see the reality of the Trinity. There is only one God, but found in three persons, forever in love and forever in holiness. But the second part is just as important, actually more important for our conversation today. The Holy Spirit was given to Jesus, to lead Jesus and empower Jesus to do God the Father's will. Think about it. In all of Jesus' life up to this point, Jesus never healed, never cast out demons, never taught anything new. Only once at 12 years old did he show up in the temple and, and teach, but no one followed him. There was nothing new. Yet right after the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, Jesus' ministry started, and we begin to see how Jesus walked with, with the Father and did God's will. So here's the wild uh-oh moment, ready? The third person of the Trinity empowers Jesus who's sent by the Father. Now here's the mm moment. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have had the ability to do all the things he did, even though he's God. See, this was his choice. See, let me say it again. This is how Jesus chose not to grasp the power or privilege of deity. He only did what the Father wanted him to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, exclusively, period. So in other words, ready? Jesus never did ministry out of his divinity, out of his power, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, exclusively, only, and always. Okay, keep walking with me. 
Now just listen to these words afresh. Luke 4.1, now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Hmm. And like I've shared before in the Mark account, it says in Greek, he was pushed into the desert by the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 14 in Luke, Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee now in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him throughout the whole countryside. Okay, so here's the moment. How did Jesus do all the amazing things healings, teaching, all of that, but not use his godness and yet never stopped being God. And the answer is Jesus had spiritual gifts given by the Spirit to serve. Jesus had the gift of teaching, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had the gift of miracles, deliverances, exorcisms. Jesus had the gift of healing, healing leprosy, just to name a few. Okay, are you seeing the connection yet? If we as everyday normal Christians have the same Holy Spirit and we have the same spiritual gifts together as a church, we can do the same things Jesus did, right? But if Jesus used his divinity, his power, then we can never be like Jesus. We can never imitate Jesus. We can never do the things he did. That's impossible because we're not God. We're here today and gone tomorrow. We're made in his image. Unless, of course, Jesus chose not to do something so we could imitate him. Okay, let me keep working this out. It's not just about spiritual gifts. It's about spiritual disciplines. I've pointed this out so many times. Jesus all the time leaves at the wrong time and he's always praying, right? And, I, and I've asked before, well, what is Jesus doing? Or let me ask you a different question. Why did Jesus, or how did Jesus hear and learn and see what the Father was doing? Because remember, if he's not using his advantage of being God, then he can't see or hear what the Father's doing. He, he, he shut off the God tap, though it's still there. Well, this is the other side of the coin. Jesus used spiritual practices to hear and learn. See, spiritual practices, holy habits, are the guaranteed place of encounter when you're already walking with God. They set up and provide the environment to hear what you're called to do. And again, I, I love Dallas Willard who simply said, my central claim is that we become like Jesus in doing one thing, following him in his overall style that he chose for himself, his lifestyle. And what activities did Jesus practice? Well, solitude, silence, prayer, simple, sacrificial living, intense study, meditation on God's word and God's ways and service to others. So, ready? Let me just start connecting all the dots. Spiritual disciplines is how you walk with God like Jesus did. They're where the Holy Spirit teaches us and encourages us and makes us holy. And spiritual gifts are how we serve like Jesus. And why? Because, well, well spiritual gifts are the only guaranteed place of heaven-given power to serve because they're actually not from us. They are power from another source, the Holy Spirit. So, ready? Here we go. See, Jesus isn't just our Savior, and Jesus isn't just our Lord. Jesus is our model. He's the pattern for us as a local church and for you personally. Remember, Paul calls us the body of Christ. We are Jesus on earth. Everything he did, other than, of course, he is God, we're not. Speaking scriptures into existence, we don't do that. We don't die for the sins of the world. We're not seated beside God the Father praying at this moment, but we are his real representatives on this earth. And what gets even more amazing is when you get to Paul, 
and, and the linear sort of outline of our Christian life and the invitation into it, it follows the exact same pattern. Uh, watch this. When you became a Christian, you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit is not a secondary deal. Every Christian's baptized in the Spirit. It's an entrance thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks or slave or free. We all are given the one Spirit to drink. This is our unity. So isn't it interesting? Our starting point is the Spirit. Same with Jesus. And notice that we share the same spirit that Jesus had on him and in him, but, but the relationship is a little different because we're not the full body of Jesus. We're just part of it. Oh, and then Paul says, not only you is there the one-time entrance thing, he, then he says in Ephesians 5.18, uh, be, be, instead be filled with the spirit. And in Greek, it's continually so not only are we baptized in the Spirit, we are called to continue to walk in the Spirit that Jesus walked in also. And then third, we can ask God to produce in us the same character that Jesus had called the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't something you can just do or produce. It's impossible becoming possible because again, it's from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is agape, it's love. And it's joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And since verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Fourthly, we're called to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit by using the gifts of the Spirit that Jesus used. This is how the power of God is released into a dark world. And in each one of our local churches, including here at Sanctus, we have all the gifts, yet personally you will have one or maybe some. But we can never say, lean in, <laughs> we can never say, well, we'll never see all that Jesus did again because he is God and we are not. No. Jesus and the Father have given us the Holy Spirit, A, to affirm that we're children of God, and B, to empower us just like Christ. Do you see the bias? So let me stop and summarize this again, because some of you are about to tweet really bad things. I want to say this again. Jesus, who never stopped being God, laid aside the privilege of his godness, the deity, and sorry, he laid aside the power of his deity, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and did God the Father's will. So when we're baptized in the Spirit at conversion, all of us, and we are filled by the Spirit over a lifetime again and again, and then here's the ah, and we find out what our spiritual gifts are, and they're supported by the fruit of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 13, the impossible becomes possible. Now all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are at work today that were available in the first century and they're desperately needed. Now, again, this is not a whole series on spiritual gifts or a sermon, but let me just say this. We spend a lot of time talking about the difference between natural gifts, acquired gifts, and spiritual gifts. Natural gifts is what you're born with. Some of you are just born good at math, born athletic, born musical. It's, it's in your DNA. That's not a spiritual gift. Acquired gifts is what you learn. And those are good. Now, both of those things can be used by, the, by God for his kingdom. They can totally, they're part of who you are. They're beautiful. But they're different than spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts are actually assigned and they're not from you. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are the work of the one and same Holy Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. He chooses what you get. We don't have a choice. Now, if you've got a Bible and it's still open or you're navigating, would you turn over to Romans 12, 3? Romans 12, 3 reads like this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of your think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Now, what's really important is Romans 12 is about spiritual gifts. He outlines them here. And what he's saying is that phrase, see, the faith God has distributed to each one of you. It's not salvation faith here. This is talking about gifts. We should see ourselves through what gifts have been sovereignly assigned. And the implication here is that I may have the gift of teaching and you might have the gift of teaching and your friend might have the gift of teaching, but we might have different umphs behind it, different strength, more authority, to use charismatic language, anointing. Someone might be, be given a river of authority. Some might be given a creek of authority. Some might be given an ocean of authority. But here's, here's the key to joy. Ask God what he hasn't given you. Ask God what gifts you don't get. So you're not always daydreaming about the thing. And also ask God about the divine limit of how much he's going to use the gift he has given you. Because like I always use this illustration, imagine a riverbank in your head. God determines not only what gift you get, he determines the riverbanks of how much power he's going to give behind that gift. And why is that important? Because many of us, many of us, many of us want other gifts, or many of us start believing we'll do all these grand things with the gifts we've been given, but actually that's never God's dream, that's our dream. And then we end up bitter and sad and angry because we have wrong expectations. So don't want other spiritual gifts not given to you, and don't spend your life trying to do the majority of your ministry out of an area you're not gifted from. And the reverse is always also true. Don't expect other people to be passionate and totally involved in what you're called into because that's not how God has designed them. And also, again, ask God, what is the limit? So you won't end up angry, bitter, burnt out, and disappointed because you're not functioning from heaven's view. But when we humbly start walking together like Jesus did, under the power of the Holy Spirit and doing God the Father's will, then we always end up meeting the giver of the gifts. <laughs> Verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many parts, and these members don't have the same function, so in Jesus, though we form one body, each member belongs to the other. Yeah, we got different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. So we're actually the body of Jesus. None of us are the head, but we do form this community. And in this amazing unity in Jesus, there's a diversity of sovereignly assigned gifts by the Holy Spirit. So again, the, the picture always is never independence, never dependence, it's interdependence. The point is, if you want to see the kingdom of God come on earth, if you want to see darkness really push back, if you want to see all we do as a local church have purpose and eternal impact, if you want to speak into a post-Christian, confused, growing hostile and apathetic culture, if you want to reverse the trend of churches dying and becoming museums and mosques and yoga studios and, and things that used to be, then we need to keep on walking in guaranteed supernatural power. Now, again, we divide the gifts simply into love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts. And by the way, you can listen to something else another time to understand that. But this is our second three-legged stool. Remember two weeks ago, allegiance, truth, and power? Here's the other one, love and power and word. Now, let me recap this again. We have access to the Father like Jesus did. We have the same Holy Spirit living in each one of us that Jesus had. 
We have the same power in us that Jesus had. We have the same character offered to us that Jesus had. We have the same gifts that Jesus used. And we have the same practices he used. So if spiritual gifts are that guaranteed place of power and spiritual practices is the guaranteed place of transformation, being encouraged and hearing, we can keep going. Why is this important? Well, it's how Jesus functions. So if he did, it's got to be the center of everything we do. But the beauty is spiritual disciplines and spiritual gifts transcend culture, transcend race, transcend gender, and church styles. None of those things are unimportant, but they're not the key. And even more interesting, the power source is not based on who has historical power, who has power now. And they're never based on where the money is. Isn't this wild? Money didn't come up here at all. It's also not based on your personality profile but it is based on God's sovereignty. And let me say this again. If, if Jesus used disciplines and gifts and we want to become more like Jesus and our church has to reflect Jesus more, we have no choice but to make this central to everything we do. This is why this is one of our biases. Uh, let me go on a little tangent one more time. You also want to know why this is important? Because we need to reach out to a culture that's fragmented. And the way to reach out is with that three-legged stool. See, if you have people who are functioning in love gifts, they'll end up being involved in social justice in Jesus' name, which is different than social justice in general. And they will love people into the kingdom. At the same time, people with word gifts will begin to intellectually defend and show the, the cohesiveness and the coherence of the Christian faith. And people will be thought into the kingdom. And then people with power our gifts will deliver people and heal people and they'll experientially be brought into the kingdom and all three doors or all three parts of the stool allow different people to come to the center to meet Jesus. But if you are missing love gifts in your church or word gifts in your church or power gifts in your church, then the stool actually wobbles and falls over and you're missing at least one or two doors for people to become Christians. Got it? Okay, what is the Holy Spirit saying to us? One, We've done two major series. We brought them back again in the last 15 months. One on spiritual gifts, I think started in January 2019, and the other in April 2020 when we did a major series again on spiritual disciplines. If you are joining us, or you have joined us, but you have not listened to these recently or never at all, go back because in each one of them, we give common scripting. What does this mean? How does it look? What do we mean when we say that thing, both discipline and gift? And then we begin to show you how to use each one of them. So I wanna encourage you to go back and pray, learn, talk, and be like Jesus. Now, second of all, many of us uh, that know our gifts, what do we do? And we know, and we, and our disciplines, what, what do we do? Well, here's an encouragement. I would encourage you in 2021 to choose one spiritual discipline and really focus on it for the year, to grow in it. Fasting, solitude, silence, just pick one and grow in it over a year. Because as you take this journey, you'll become more like Jesus. Okay, what about spiritual gifts? Any further help? Well, some of you know your gifts and you need to just keep walking faithfully and using them. And like I always say, but please give them back to the Lord and pray for character as you use them. But there are two other groups I really want to talk to today. Those who are new and starting to discover their gifts. And the second group, you even more. You've been here for a while. You've heard the sermon before. You've listened to all this stuff, but you still don't know your gift and you've become angry, discouraged, or apathetic. So, let me start with the group that's discovered. 
if you have never done personal work to discover or develop your spiritual gifts, the starting point is find a place to serve within the community that will help you discover and then develop your gifts. And it was interesting, Pastor Natalie and I, she's our prayer pastor, we spent a lot of time talking and she gave me some of this language because it's so helpful. She said, if you're discovering your gifts right now, you'll probably fall into one of two categories. One, your spiritual gifts are very loud. You're bombarded with spiritual experiences, overwhelmed by the needs around you. You consistently want to help someone or love someone or to teach someone or interject because people around you are not getting it. Now, big gifts are not bad gifts. (laughs) They're not bad things but they need to be developed. This is especially true if your spiritual gifts feel fairly new and have not been used well or at all in community. And if this is you, your new rule of thumb that we talk around here all the time is stop, drop, and roll. (laughs) When you feel like you need to ask God to show you what he wants you to notice only or experience only, and ask him to silence everything else in Jesus' name. Resist the temptation to enjoy being in the know. Keep asking only to see and experience what God would have for you. Critical, surrender what you think might be a gift to the Lord to make sure it's from him, and ask him to purify your motives. Because remember, spiritual gifts aren't about you or personality. It's about helping the church. Second, find a place to serve with people who can mentor you in your gifts so you can learn from them and actually compare notes. Safe, wise counsel in community is one of God's safeguards as we learn the humility of interdependence and also the wisdom of discerning God's voice from our own voice and others. Now, over time, you'll become more comfortable with what you're experiencing, more able to discern actually what's urgent, significant, and eh, not so important. There's always growing pains in the journey, but it's all good. Don't let it discourage you. God gave you the gifts or the gift for the sake of the body. That is the local church. Learn what they are and use them. We at Sanctus Church, man, do we need you. Now there's another group. You fall into this category. Your gifts are very quiet or not even known to you. This is completely okay. You might see the gifts in other people and become discouraged. Those people have those gifts. And by the process of elimination, you assume, well, I don't have those gifts or any gift. No, 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 not true. Not true, because the Bible says every one of us has at least one. And not only that, we've seen a pattern lately where people don't know their gifts. They just go, well, I suppose I have the gift of service and helps. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Helps is an amazing gift. If you got it, thank God. But do you have it? Now, I want you to take a good listen. It takes intentionality and commitment to understand your spiritual gifts if they don't start out like some fire hose. Now, uh, I love when Natalie wrote, thank God for this small mercy, (laughs) as it means you can grow into your gift or gifts rather than having to rein them in in desperation. Rest assured, you have a spiritual gift or gifts in the church we at Sanctus need you. Now, many seasoned people around you that, that actually you look up to felt the same way when they started, unsure of their role, unsure of their contribution. And yet, when you find a place to serve with people who can help identify and develop these with you, when you serve faithfully in an area and intentionally, while asking at the same time, God, would you show me, you'll begin to notice the gift and the gift will begin to develop even if it's quiet. Trust the Lord. He's gonna show you what he needs you to see and experience. Be faithful in the meantime. Resist the urge to quit resist the urge to compare 
Resist the urge to dismiss anyone who comes and says, actually, I think you might have this gift. Oh, no, no, I don't. I, you don't know me. Whoa. God speaks through the community. You might not be convinced yet, but just take some time. Oh, and, can, and also, would you resist the urge to become apathetic? Take all of this to the Lord. Submit yourself to him. Keep yourself open to his leading. Watch and see. He's got big plans for you. He's got much bigger plans for our church as we walk together. This is such an important moment. Why? Well, this is how we become like Jesus. If Jesus used disciplines to hear and walk with the Father, we have to. If if Jesus used spiritual gifts to actually transform the world, then then we have to. And, and, And when you get this, you now will understand the bias. Are we working this all out right all the time at Sanctus? No. Do we have lots to learn? Yes. How do you do this with three and a half thousand people? How do we keep doing this with new people? All that stuff. But for you who are dating us, still want to join us? Because this is we, this is our world right here. We're serious about this. But here's the other thing. I know that we've been in a pandemic for 10 months. And many people have served real faithfully during this, but lots and lots of us have not had the traditional ability to serve like we would want to or used to. I just want to say to everyone, as we go through this transition of lockdown, to semi-open, to open. There's going to be this great temptation to come back and not serve. Because remember, it takes, what, three weeks to build a habit? And this is 10 months. I just want to say to you, again, as a fellow Christian, but as a pastor, the way we imitate Jesus is we use spiritual gifts and spiritual disciplines. When we begin to reopen all four locations, and then the virtual location, and then we continue new, all hands on deck. And this is how, again, some of you are going to learn your gifts. You're going to start serving in areas and they're going to start getting identified. Others of us are going to have to come back, but all hands on deck. We're going to have to, again, pray about the gifts, pray for character and begin to serve in very intentional ways so we can reach more people during this moment and beyond this moment. So if you want to take uh, this last moment in the sermon with me, the service with me, would, would you just pray? Lord, thanks that you're not just Savior and Lord, but you're a model. Show, thank you that we can actually be like you. It's not just pie in the sky, and it's not a lie, actually. My prayer is threefold. I pray that you'd help all of us to choose one discipline to grow in this year, to really grow in it. Study, meditation, solitude, silence, you know, Lord. Uh, But deeper than that, my prayer is that you would reveal what spiritual gifts are from the Spirit. And actually, if there are gifts in our church that are not from the Spirit, they're fleshy or demonic, just get rid of them in Jesus' name. I pray you'd begin to help certain people rein in their gifts, other people to discover their gifts. We pray for sovereign doors to begin to open for people to serve. And we just again pray because it's your will that everyone would know their gift or gifts and would begin to use them joyfully in the power of the Spirit as we move forward together as a church. Uh, Lord, others are struggling with what I've said. They're trying to work it out. Would you continue to lead them into all truth? I just pray this in the name of God the Father, who called us in the name of God the Son, who is our Savior and our Lord, and has modeled this for us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to be like Jesus, and also gives us character we do not have, and also guarantees our resurrection. And we all sit together. Amen.